Blog Talk Radio. In a country barreling towards a crucial election while facing a pandemic, a liar in chief, fake news, and murder hornets, this is the last 100 days. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the last 100 Days podcast. Today is Thursday, September 10th, 2020. We are on day 54 and counting to election, excuse me, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton. Joining me in just a minute with my Tuesday, Thursday co-host, musician and podcast producer, Brandon Carmody. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call on the live line at 347-989-0126. That's 347-989-0126. Lots of news going into the last 54 days here. Brandon, how you doing, buddy? Good afternoon, Scott, and good afternoon, listeners. Um, unfortunately, I have to start with this. My house is in Clackamas County, and we have just been placed on level one mandatory get ready to evacuate so um i just want to let you know that if during this hour of 5 to 6 p.m if the uh order to evacuate comes in i have to go um so there's that um i also am not prepared to do such things and this is unfortunate but oregon is largely on fire right now and um legitimate thoughts and prayers I mean, absolutely no jest by that whatsoever. Legitimate thoughts and prayers. People that I know and love are affected, and several have left their homes. And there's a lot going on, man. So Oregon, again, Oregon is in bad spot. Sorry for the bad bummer opening. Yeah, be safe, be careful. Where exactly is it? You know, I've, I've lived there for four years, and I didn't know there was anything close to the uh, to clack on the sword of Portland. Where where exactly is the fire right now? That you could be evacuated from. Um, I I don't have that pulled up in front of me. I know that Oregon City Candy is um, okay. Let's see here. Malala residents told to evacuate. Oregon City Candy residents told to be ready. Um, most of the people that I know are in Oregon City and they're on standby right now. They're packing their stuff, man. They're packing up. Um, so. Mm. What a sharp pivot this will be to talk about politics in the middle of these fires and what. Oh, oh, one other thing, Scott. Um, you asked me on Tuesday to plug my shows. And remember how excited I was that I had just launched my new music show? We had right. to suspend production. We had to suspend production because of the fires and because of the chaos. So as, a, as an artist, I'm just a little bit frustrated that the coronavirus canceled my summer music tour and now wildfires canceled. I just it feels like 2020 is just basically telling me to stop being an artist. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, I talk to talk to people all the time with my my entertainment show. I talked to uh, some guy that was in Broadway on uh, Torch Song Trilogy this year in Broadway, and they're still not sure. They're starting to see some video production getting ready to come out. They're looking to maybe start up the 50 seat theaters, but that's about it. Entertainment's still pretty much shut down. Canada is starting to resume production, but to come from the U S you have to be in quarantine for two full weeks before you can get allowed to go on set. 
and uh, it's it's still tight in the entertainment business, that's for sure. The last thing I'll say on that before we have to do a sharp pivot to politics, you know how there's so many people online that have been all year long, like, protect Betty White, protect Betty White at all costs. I'm going to actually go the right. other direction. We have to protect Sir Patrick Stewart at all costs because for as controversial and different as that first season of Picard was, for me, the 30-year Star Trek fan loved it, was so excited to see Patrick Stewart return as, you know, Admiral Picard. And it was such a bold move. And they got Brent Spiner. And so long story short, they need to go forward. Like, I will be really bummed out if coronavirus and other things or something happens and they don't get to do another season. The plan was like at least three seasons of that. So I'm particularly most bummed about Picard not already being in production for their season two. I'll just leave it at that. Huge fan here. Right. I hear you. I hear you. A lot of good shows are going to be a wild far. I mean, normally September would be starting a new season any day now, but they've barely even started production on anything. Correct. They have nothing in the can ready to go. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a very slow, laid-out season this year. That's for dang sure. Well, let's jump into the news. We have so much to talk about. There's still fallout from Robert Woodward's newest book, Rage, I guess we can start with that. You weren't able to be on the show yesterday when we talked about that. Talk about uh, what's got you, um, what's still hitting your hot button over this book by Robert Woodward, uh, Rage. Well, here's, here's, first of all, I will say that as a fan of, I saw the movie, you know, All the President's Men, which has, of course, you know, Dustin Hoffman and, uh, I'm drawing a blank. You know, they, they portrayed Robert, Woodward, Robert the whole Wood. Yeah, Robert Redford. Yes, yes. So that's a great film, and it portrayed their whole experience as reporters on the Washington Post following the Nixon trail, which, by the way, you know, for those history buffs, that was about two-plus years. It's not like it was something that developed over a week or two. So it right. took them a lot of stories and a lot of investigative work. But Bob Woodward having been part of the Washington Post team back in the 1970s that cracked the Nixon scandal, which a lot of people largely say that the Washington Post investigations ultimately led to Nixon's resignation after things right. happened, like Barry Goldwater meeting with Nixon saying, hey, you're going to be impeached, you got to resign. So here we are, history reliving itself. Bob Woodward gets President Donald Trump on the phone 18 times, nine hours of recorded audio, Look, can we just start there? Like, Scott, um, who in the White House – I mean, I, obviously they don't have full control of the president. They don't sit with them 24-7. But let's just start with the basics. How in the hell did Bob Woodward get the president on the phone 18 times unfiltered? Right. That's been a big uh, source of it, and that the White, it's why the White House has been primarily caught unprepared for this, because a lot of these calls were Trump calling – Woodward in the middle of the night from the residence, like 10, 11, 12 <laughs> o'clock at night. So there was no nothing there. I mean, normally, you know, there's a press secretary standing by listening to every word the president says, not this president. He goes very much off script all the time. He did a lot of these phone calls himself. And uh, I guess he went on Hannity last night, as he always does. And even... Uh, Hannity was kind of pressing him, why would you sit for 18 hours with Bob Woodward? 
you know what kind of uh, reporter he is. And Trump said, well, I thought that I would, uh, I could get a new good book. He was so mad. I guess the first book Woodward wrote in it about him in 2017, Trump's Orbit. So his previous book was uh, kind of disparaging Kellyanne Conway and talked to a lot of people outside. And Trump didn't have too much access to uh, Woodward. He thought he would actually be able to turn him around and Woodward would see what a great guy Trump is if he gave him this access. So um, not the smartest bulb in the bunch there. If you've seen any, if you've written any Bob Woodward book, you kind of know, right? Well, shall we delve into the weeds here? I, I have a few prepared things. This is from Business Insider. Eight of the most shocking claims and Trump quotes in Bob Woodward's new bombshell book about the president. So let's start here, folks. Trump admits he played down the pandemic. Obviously, uh, as Scott, as we've talked about so many times, the one thing that at least I was hoping would unite humanity, unite Americans, unite American politicians would be a damn pandemic that affects us all. Not so much. So here's what we have on that topic. In a recorded conversation with Woodward on February 7th, Trump said the coronavirus was more deadly than even your strenuous flus and that people could contract the virus just by breathing in the air. For weeks after that conversation, Trump repeatedly told the public that the coronavirus was no worse than the seasonal flu. So right there, right there, that's the big one. Trump admitted on February 7th to Bob Woodward that he knew the the actual medical implications, how virulent the virus was, how it's passable from person to person if you and I were sitting in a podcast room right now. What do you think about that, the fact that the president openly downplayed the coronavirus despite knowing better? That changes our perspective well, on what did. the president the knew and when it. he knew it. Right. And the end of that, he says, because I didn't want to panic the public. Um, first, we know that's not true because what's he doing now? He's doing scare tactics and trying to panic the public that if we elect Joe Biden, that the country is going to go to hell in a handbasket and there'll be war in the streets everywhere. So he is not afraid to cause chaos. We know that already. But the big takeaway is that he lied to the American people. He needs to be upfront and honest. Um, I think the best example I had talking to someone about it yesterday was that if you're a doctor, you still have to give bad news, but you have to be truthful about it. You can't if someone's dying of leukemia, you can't say, well, it's not really a bad form of leukemia, even though you know it is. To be honest with people, even if it's bad news, in order to prepare them for what's going on, that's not to panic them. That's to be honest up front and work together on the best form of treatment, right? Um, there is what we've been saying that the Washington Post has been tracking the the confirmed lies that this president has told in his three and a half years, I think we were past the 23,000 point. So I was never expecting and have never seen any evidence of truth from this president. So there's still no shock on my face right now, man. None. Right. Yeah. And this is a, and that's a big thing. I mean, he's all saying that uh, Bob Woodward's getting a lot of blowback for this, um, for not reporting it himself. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, um, the president and his staff are trying to say, well, if it was so bad, why didn't Bob Woodward say something until now when he had a book deal? And that's honestly a good point. I mean, we can't, as I was saying yesterday, you can't 
be mad at uh, Bolton, John Bolton, for not testifying in the impeachment trial, waiting for his book to come out, and then have uh, what have uh, Woodward know that he's downplaying this and that people are dying and the president knows better and not telling anyone until his book comes out. So I think there is some, some good blame to go toward Woodward towards that. But the thing you also have to think about is because Trump lies so much, what was Woodward to believe that that really was as bad as Trump was telling him it was, or that it was not that bad what Trump was telling the American public. He lies so much that gets a, you don't even know what to say or not. So I give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I still think he should be on the hook for a little bit. I'm not overly happy with Woodward waiting so long, but uh, I can understand it to a some degree, you know. Well, so what have we been? So by the way, I didn't catch the ticker. How many days? How many days till D-Day? Where are we at, buddy? Fifty-four. Fifty-four. My God. Oh my. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> that just relates to this. So this is a September surprise. Does this qualify? I think this qualifies as a September surprise. Do we agree on that? I think it does. I, from what I heard, he was telling – he knew the book was coming out. I mean, the book's not even out until next week. This all came out a week before the book's coming out, um, just excerpts of it. We don't even know what's – we might not have heard about in the book. These are just some of the, the, the key bullet points to it. But Trump supposedly has been telling a lot of aides that the book will probably not be – not paint him in a good light. So they didn't know what to expect. He didn't remember, honestly, what he said half the time, I don't believe. But, uh, yeah, I think as far as we were not expecting all this to be as fruitful of information as become, um, I don't know if it was a surprise totally on Trump and his team. Um, probably was a surprise how much Trump actually said on tape. I mean, you have to also realize this is the first time ever that Bob Woodward has shared tapes of his interviews. He keeps those things very close to the vest. But because it's so explosive and because it's the president's own words, he's releasing it because otherwise Trump would just say, I never said that, right? So a lot of things going on. I think it could qualify definitely as a September surprise overall. On on that point, I just want to say that I've spoken with some of my conservative sources today, and I literally just – brought up the conversation. What do you think about the Woodward book revelations? And um, Mike, <laughs> ain't that some stuff? My conservative source says, oh, I haven't heard anything about it, man. It's like, uh, Bob, the news coverage wall to wall about Bob Woodward having gotten 18 interviews and there are tapes. The conservative source says, no, I don't know anything about. So uh, th- that's the position I'm being given. Okay, a couple quick more things here. Uh, on Morning Joe this morning, they literally told their listeners, if you are eating right now or drinking some type of a hot liquid, please put your food and your beverage down because the next part is going to be nauseating. And then they went over this, <laughs> which is which is letters with North Korean dictator. Trump's self-described love of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is also detailed in the book. I'm still reading from Business Insider, by the way. Uh, let me give you this. 
After they met for the first time in 2018 at the Singapore summit, Kim wrote to Trump that he would like another historic meeting between himself and your excellency reminiscent of a scene from a fantasy film. And then um, there is another quote here from Kim Jong-un in their like 27 letters that have been traded back and forth. I feel pleased to form good ties with such a powerful and preeminent statesman as your excellency Kim wrote in another letter and let's see, I was hoping that maybe we had some of the Trump side of that, but those are the types of letters that are coming from Kim Jong-un to President Trump at the White House. So that is, I don't know. but here's the big one, Scott. I really would love your feedback on this. Trump bragged about a secret nuclear weapon. I have built a nuclear weapon system that nobody's ever heard of in this country before, Woodward quotes Trump as saying. We have stuff that you haven't seen or heard about. We have stuff that Putin and G have never heard about before that nobody has, and we what we have is incredible. That's classified, Scott. That's classified. And he told Bob Woodward on a recorded interview. Right. Now it's all over the news cycle. So if that's true, if we have a secret nuclear system, A, oh, my God, but I guess I shouldn't be shocked. We have to be prepared for war, I guess. But he told Bob Woodward that we have a special nuclear program. Yeah, it's um, it's beyond the pale, really. Unfortunately, we have to realize it's not his first time. When you think about it, um, back in 2017, when those Russian Russian officials were visiting the Oval Office way back early, he told them about an ISIS plot so classified that it risks exposing the source of who got who they got the information from. So he almost told Russian officials where they got the where he got the source for an ISIS plot. And then you also remember in 2017 that there was a telephone call with the president of the Philippines that Trump revealed where the U.S. had positioned their submarines in North Korea. I mean, it's not the first time he has told top secret things to people. Um, and I mean, I don't know which is worse, telling a reporter or telling a foreign leader, which he has. And that's really kind of been the big part of the news today. Yesterday was a lot about the coronavirus. Today, they're really kind of hammering in on this, that what state secrets is he telling people that we have no idea what it is? Some people are still denying it, but Woodward said he has sources that say there is some kind of a secret weapon going on. So we don't even really know what to believe, right? So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Do not expect the national security officials to come out and confirm or deny. Just expect them to remain silent. When you get that close to the the truth of that type of classified information, I mean, there's other articles I have in front of me, by the way, about – how much is going on with the cyber hacking coming directly from Russia and everything toward our election. There's a whole unit of the GRU, man. There is a militarized hacking unit of the GRU that is literally attacking our systems and our infrastructure regarding the election. Don't think it stops there. They're trying to get military classified secrets. They're trying to get business secrets. It's like, okay, the warfare is no longer just a bunch of tanks facing off each other in Fallujah, you guys. Military warfare has now moved into the cyber zone. This is the new. This is the new normal. Um, one of the things that's here, been Scott, that way for a while. The election oh, stuff is actually a little newer. I mean, we've been spying on each other for years. Us on other countries, other countries on us, trying to get a tactical advantage. That's nothing really new. The sophistication of the spying now is obviously 
a lot more advanced now. The election stuff has kind of been the new stuff. The the bots and using the social media to spread disinformation is the new part. But spying has been going on since the end of time, right? It's just now they have all the technology that makes it that much easier for them to do. That's the scary part of that. I have one last thing on the Woodward book, and then I would love to at least talk some Joe Biden. I don't think it's fair that Trump gets all of our airtime. Joe Biden has uh, got a dog in this fight. But here's the last thing on the uh, Woodward book. Coates, Trump's former national director of intelligence, suspected Putin had something on Trump. Here's a couple more quotes for you. While Pence urged Coates to stay and put aside his concerns about Trump's coziness with Russian President Vladimir Putin, Woodward described Coates as being dogged by a lingering suspicion. According to Woodward, Coates continued to harbor the secret belief, one that had grown rather than lessened, although unsupported by intelligence proof, that Putin had something on Trump. And then the quote is, how else to explain the president's behavior? Coates could see no other explanation. So the director of national intelligence told Bob Woodward that he believes that President Vladimir Putin has some type of significant compromise or that the president of the United States is significantly compromised by Russia. Scott, I'm telling you right now, I'm telling your listeners on air right now, that is what I have believed the entire time. I have believed the entire time that this president is compromised by Russia and has been prior to the 2016 election. And that is the most terrifying thing of the Trump presidency first term where we're at right now. And the terrifying prospects to me and to all of us if there was to be a second term and why he will not call out, you know, the Putin putting bounties on American soldiers in Afghanistan or anything that Russia has done. Something is not right there, and the media has already called this out multiple times, but for the director of national intelligence, the former director, to tell Bob Woodward that he believes there's compromise on the president from Russia, that's almost confirmation, man. I mean, there is something darkly going on between the two presidents. Who is Russia is supposed to be a, a hostile, combative force. They're not an ally. Wouldn't you agree? They're definitely not an ally. Well, no, not at all, and, that, and it's exactly as you said. For for someone as high up in the organization as Dan Coates was to be that concerned, and he knows what's chatter and what could be real and what might not be real, for him not to have come across that level of worry before says something, right? The guy's been in intelligence for a long time, been in, in the government for a long time. So, yeah, it's very worrisome when someone like that is thinking that is of strong possibility. It's the only explanation that he can think of. And I'm sure he thinks of lots of explanations for a lot of different things. So, yeah, it's a very scary thing. Um, who knows when we'll find out? I don't know when we're ever going to find out. Um, I think everything does come to light eventually. How soon, we don't know. But I think uh, there's there's strong possibilities that it's the only logical explanation to a lot of his action towards Russia and towards some of these dictators, right? I can't think of anything else it could be. Could be. Could be other stuff, but it's just very weird. Well, can we talk about the president's opponent, the Democratic nominee? So I, I, I love the fact, by the way, that we no longer have to say some BS, like presumptive. I, I'm so glad we got past the convention. Joe Biden's the guy, okay? But have you ever done this, right. Scott? Have you ever just Google searched Joe Biden and Trump 
and then hit news. So right now, like Google search Joe Biden, here's the first five headlines, CNN. Biden says Trump has no conception of national security. Mother Jones, Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani worked with an active Russian agent to discredit Joe Biden. Let's put a pin in that one. <laughs> um, and then Fox News. Biden leads 2020 race, but plurality thinks Trump will win the election. And I pulled up that one just so I could give us something to lead in here. Under their little massive byline, it says majority in the polls think that there are secret Trump supporters in their communities. So the polls are saying Joe Biden's going to win, but everyone is basically saying, yeah, but despite all that, Trump will win. Um, you're, you've been kind of a polling guy. I've been deferring to your judgment. The polls really do favor Biden. But should we be very concerned about that? Well, the thing that concerns me about it is the is the numbers of 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 the change. Like, there's a plurality of Democrats that say they are supporting Biden, but there's a plurality of Democrats that say that 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 they think Trump is going to win, that they think Biden will win, but it's a lot smaller than the plurality of who's going to support him, right? The Trump people, he's, Trump is, uh, people support Trump are going to vote for Trump and support him and believe he's going to win. The independents say they're going to support Biden, but they have the biggest switch over to Trump is going to win, so it's a big swing over to that, and that's a number that concerns me the most in that poll. Um, it's it's just it's I don't know where the disconnect is where they are supporting Biden, but they think Trump will win, and it, it's a it's a a big number. So I mean it's a six six point swing from positive Joe winning to positive Trump. Uh, going to win the election. So it does concern me a bit. <clears throat> it's all about, <clears throat> I don't know if there's secret voters still out there. We've talked about this over the last four weeks or five weeks we've been doing the show. Is there still secret voters out there? Are there still people that are embarrassed to say they're voting for Trump again? That's I think, was a big case back in 2016, that people just weren't going to say they're voting for Trump, but did. Is that going to happen this year? Is there, Are they going to have that, what they call, silent majority vote again? I don't know. I don't know how big it is. I think there will be some, but is it going to be as big as 2016? I think we've talked about people's opinions are pretty baked in there for the most part. There could be some, some swing votes as far as independence on which way they're going to go, but I don't think they're going to be hiding it as a silent vote. They'll say who they're going to vote for. I'm not really 100% sure on that. It does concern me, though, the swing. Like I said, it's about a seven-point swing from I'm going to support Joe Biden, but I think Trump is going to win. It's a 7% swing, which is a pretty big number. Uh, I, I, so I, if I not made it clear to you and the listeners, I don't have it in me to tolerate and live in Trump's America for another four years. I mean, I'm just being – transparent and honest with you right now like i'm not saying i'll move to canada but i'm just saying like emotionally like as far as my humanity i don't have another four years in me but we're staring down that that's a real possibility right i i, I mean you got two two candidates in this race i mean it is a real possibility but 
what a terrifying prospect of this man under these circumstances getting a second term. Let me just put it this way. If that were to happen, impeachment is not off the table. Impeachment with more articles of impeachment, more charges than before, something that may actually stick and force the Congress to really consider it, unless I'm just dreaming, Scott. Unless we just relive the whole thing, they impeach him, the Congress goes there, and they all give thumbs up. He did nothing wrong, and he gets another free pass. I don't know. I just don't know. Right. (laughs) Well, the most important – that's why the most important thing is that the very least – we have to win the Senate because it's not just four more years of Trump. If Trump actually pulls this out and wins, we will have a Supreme Court for the next 40 years that is a majorly conservative court. So there will be a lot of rights lost in our lifetime um, over the next 40 years plus because all these the, the Supreme Court people that are the youngest are all conservatives, right? And the people that would be retiring are all Democrats coming up in the next couple of years. So it's not just four more years of Trump. It's 40 more years of conservatism. And what's that going to mean for human rights? What's it going to mean for Black Lives Matter? What's it going to mean for LGBTQ rights? What's it going to mean for all sorts of things, for reproduction rights, to women's rights? So that's why this election is so important. They're saying it's the most important election of our lifetime. It's not just getting through four more years of Trump. Um, I think the House is going to squarely stay in the Republican or the, excuse me, the Democrat majority. So they will have a hard time getting legislation through for four years that will hurt us. We can handle four more years of Trump because it'll be painful, but there'll be mostly executive orders that can be reversed once he's gone. The biggest consequence is going to be the Supreme Court and more federal. I mean, he did 200. He's nominated and confirmed 200 federal lifetime appointment judges already just in three and a half years. So that's the biggest outcome of this whole thing. I have some information on a poll out today from CNBC, Scott. Um, Read you the byline. Most voters don't see Trump and Biden as mentally fit to be president. New poll shows. So this is interesting. Here's the key points. A majority of voters in six swing states consider President Trump and Joe Biden mentally unfit to be president, according to the new CNBC and Change Research poll. Second bulletin point. At the same time, most respondents consider both the White House hopefuls physically fit for the White House, physically fit. Okay. And then third bullet point, Trump has tried to portray Biden as mentally unfit for the office, while Trump's doctor has denied speculation that the president suffered a stroke or many strokes. So, again, as I've told you guys before, I have conservative uh, operatives screaming in my ear that Biden has literally got Alzheimer's. I mean, they're just not even – they're not even saying mentally unfit. They're saying Biden has Alzheimer's. They're hiding the diagnosis. It's – sheer conspiracy um there is a fox news piece out today that says that biden botched a military coronavirus death count but his campaign says he accidentally cited the michigan number so this is just another thing where they pile on they say see see that was a gap he misspoke he misspoke on the death count well he gave an accurate death count from a different right you know what i mean what you really need to do is to get to the first debate 
get these two guys on the stage and start throwing questions and facts at them and see what it really looks like in the mashup. Right now, we're just we've got to see how they square off in the debates. Wouldn't you agree? No, that's exactly right. And, and I just read that headline that you talked about. I read it ear- earlier today. I didn't read into the story of what the percentages are in the poll or anything. I just read the headline that there's a plurality that both of them are not mentally fit, but they are physically fit for the job. So I don't know what the numbers are in the polls. It's an interesting thing, but you're right. We're not going to know that for sure. They're going to be casting aspersions both ways. I mean, they've been trying to make it an issue for Joe Biden's mental acuity when he was running against the other candidates in the Democratic primary. So um, I think it's going to take a debate for us to really see how they hold their own against each other and uh, what the acuity is there. But you're right. We're not going to really know till then. Um, does it go without saying that you've been following politics for a while? I mean, the, just talking 2012 for one second, I actually remember uh, Barack Obama having the first debate against Mitt Romney, where it, it seemed like all the pundits were calling it for Romney as having clearly won the first debate. But then Barack Obama came back roaring in the second and third debate and obviously won a second term. But uh, that is possible that it's not necessarily going to be a knockout, you know, <laughs> Muhammad Ali, like a straight knockout from Biden to Trump. Um, I expect there to be television snippets like we keep seeing from 2016. They keep playing that Hillary footage where she called him out as being Putin's puppet. And it's like, why didn't that stick? She told us right, right. there on air during the debate. So I, I think that, that that Biden will try to play it as straight as possible, but I'm sure that there are people advising him that Trump is going to play dirty, and so I don't know where they're going to go with this. I think that the Biden camp is going to want to do everything possible to show the contrast of him against Trump, and if he gets dirty, then America is just going to see this as a scorched earth election. I mean, am I crazy, or is that about right? No, it's really interesting because um, the thing that I read yesterday as well is Trump is not really preparing for the debates as much as he did last year. Um, Last year, they hired Chris Christie, New Jersey governor, to um, be the the Hillary Clinton and do some mock debates with him. I guess he's going to help do it, but they're not really doing that many mock debates this time. He wants to do it more off the cuff. They think that's his strong suit. And it could backfire. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It does make it harder for Biden as well if he's going to go totally off the cuff. Who knows what Trump's going to say? Um, I don't know if Biden's uh, goal was to kind of knock him off his feet a bit with different things, try to confuse him. But uh, it could be very interesting how it goes. And as you said, Barack Obama lost the first debate to um, Mitt Romney quite handily, I thought. And I think that they weren't sure if he was going to be able to pull it, pull it back or not, which he won the, the next two. I think the first debate was so much early voting this year in mail-in voting that you really kind of have to nail this first debate. I think a lot more is riding on it than other words. So, so you can still blow it. You still have two chances to talk to him again. But I think the first debate is going to count a little bit more than it did Obama versus Romney. 
some ground that we covered, I believe, when we talked last week, um, saying especially the folks that were in Wisconsin with the whole the whole situation in Kenosha kept saying that Biden needs to show up in Wisconsin. Well, they both showed up in Wisconsin, and I think you and I talked on Tuesday about what a split-screen moment that was. You had Biden meeting with the family of Jacob Blake, meeting with community members and doing a town hall, and the president basically came in for a presser. You know, to use right, the exactly. like a photo op, like with, with like with the Bible in the square across from the White House. But um, just since you and I have been on the air, I'm looking at Joe Biden's Twitter. So here's a tweet that literally came out, I guess, at the top of the hour. More than a thousand people died from COVID yesterday. Donald Trump watched eight hours of TV. If I'm president, you might not always agree with me, but I promise you I will always show up and fight for you. And then literally what's showing on his tweet there, Scott, is a picture of the president uh, showing that the president watched 480 minutes of television yesterday while the U.S. had 1,176 deaths. And the president is quoting in his press conference, uh, you know, Lou Dobbs and Sean Hannity. It, it was apparent that he had spent his day getting intelligence briefings from Fox News. It's it's not even in – I just can't. We have a reality show with President. This is killing me, man. <laughs> yeah, I just heard that on – I was watching a little bit of Joy Reid right before we went on the air, and she was saying something about that, that he watched supposedly six to eight hours of television yesterday. And um, I don't know many presidents that have done that, that have the time to watch eight hours of television a day. Uh, it, it's crazy. I'm semi-retired and I don't watch eight hours of television a day. Um, it's just kind of, uh, kind of silly to me, but I, I did see that, that article. So yeah, very, it's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Let me give you a couple of things that I have on my list and let you respond to it. Um, I pulled up a couple of things different than Woodward since we talked about it a bit yesterday. One thing that's very interesting that so far still on this, there's two scheduling things that interest me. One, Trump pulled out of two Nevada stops, rallies this weekend because Nevada would not let him have more than 50 people in his airport hangars. He wanted to go into Reno and to Vegas and do these little airport hangar things he's been doing. And the governor there, Democratic governor, I might add, would not let him do more than 50 people. Good for him. So Trump canceled both of those events, which I thought was a little interesting because he kind of needs Nevada and has been disparaging them quite a bit. He needs to kind of win them back a bit. And then another article as far as campaigning-wise, um, I did see that Mike Pence is scheduled next week to go for a fundraiser in Montana hosted by a couple that have expressed support for the QAnon conspiracy theory. Their names are Karen and Michael Borland. They've shared QAnon memes and retweeted posts from QAnon accounts on their social media. So I think it's very interesting that that, uh, Pence is actually going to a fundraiser being hosted by QAnon followers. So those were two campaign things. What do you think about those two things? Uh, QAnon is not (laughs) – QAnon is as fringe as – okay, I do from time to time listen to Alex Jones just because I need to know what the extreme, extreme right is saying. 
I mean, he's, he's even a little bit more extreme than Breitbart. So let me put it to you this way. For those of you listening right now, if you hear the name Alex Jones and you're shivering like, oh, total wackadoodle, fringe, crazy, right? No, no, no. Check out QAnon. QAnon is uh, – okay, so I think the Proud Boys, Antifa, some of those organizations have actually been tagged by federal law enforcement as being hate groups or being – you know, they, they have a designation. QAnon is – if it hasn't reached that designation, Scott, it's going to get there. QAnon is dangerous. I'm concerned about QAnon. And the vice president, you were right. I've got it right here. AP, Vice President Mike Pence and top officials from President Donald Trump's campaign are slated to attend a Montana fundraiser hosted by a couple who have expressed their support for the QAnon conspiracy theory. It says it right there in the AP that the QAnon is conspiracy theory based. Remember the QAnon posters that showed up at one of his rallies and uh, the media was all over that? It's yet another thing, like when he didn't call out the open white supremacists in all of his 2016 rallies, and they sort of saw those people showing up and said, hey, how can we use that to our favor? I think they've done the same thing with the QAnon, is they're sort of like latching onto that. Uh, this is so, just, yeah, things they don't condemn are going to grow, right? So it's going to be – they're going to think it's like um, acceptance by by just letting it happen. So you're right. If they don't say anything about it, they're going to assume that you're part of their group, right? Yeah, very sad. They're they're much more Uh, dangerous than Nancy Pelosi getting a haircut in a a closed barbershop, I assure you, for those of you that are still pouncing on the Pelosi haircut situation. You know what? The the thing that pisses me off about that, though, and I do actually even have that in my notes because I read about it today – um, that thing still pisses me off, and I still think she was set up um, for a lot of reasons. But the biggest being this this salon owner, and let me try to find her name. Erica Kios is the owner of East Salon. Just so happens that she brought this footage exclusively to Fox News. Just so happens that she went on Tucker Carlson's show twice. Uh, and she's making this big deal. She she had came out today, or saying that she's going to have to close her doors in San Francisco. She's not going to reopen. She's scared for her life. She's getting all this negative reviews on Yelp and everything. Well, cry me a river because this Kios girl, they started a GoFundMe campaign for her. And in the five days this GoFundMe campaign has been going on, she's raised $336,000 for her. So cry me a river, you're going to close up your shop, and you only have $336,000 to relocate on. Uh, Plus, the lawyer for the actual hairstylist that did Pelosi's hair says that he asked the salon owner if she could come in there two days before she came in. So she knew she was coming in, had the cameras going, and allowed it. And she's trying to say she was just upset that she would actually come in. Well, you're the one that told her she could when your own stylist asked if it was okay. So as far as I'm concerned, I think it's a non-story, but I also think it was a setup. And I'm not into conspiracy theories. No, and it, it, has, it has nowhere near the gravitas of the Woodward book. Um, 
We have some foreign interference stories I wanted to get to when you get a moment, too, regarding Russia. Yeah, one thing I'll go to before we go to that, I did what another thing that I saw that I want to make sure I get to, that Twitter announced today that it is expanding its policies against election-related misinformation. It set up new rules that will likely force the platform to more aggressively fact-check uh, Trump during the final months of the campaign. Uh, the social media giant rolled out new policies in a blog post which said that Twitter will either add fact-check labels to or hide altogether tweets that contain false or misleading information that causes confusion about election rules, posts with unverified information about election rigging. So I'm sure Trump is not going to be happy about that, right? That's happening as of today. Oh, you brought us good news. I didn't I didn't even know that good news was coming. Thank you, Scott. You're absolutely right. And it looks like those rules go into effect on September the 17th. You know what? We've talked about this over the five, four or five weeks, whatever you said, that we've been on the air. Twitter has taken a more aggressive stance of challenging the president's misinformation. Probably the fact that they're so tied up in government regulation, they are actually accountable for what happened. So is Facebook... Is Facebook going to follow suit? Let's put a pin in that. Exactly. All right. What did you want to say? You had, you have a, you had a couple things you want to get to. Well, th- this is a big story. Um, I'm I pulled up CNN, but multiple agencies reported on this today. Russian, Chinese, and Iranian hackers are all targeting the 2020 election. Microsoft says so. Huge news cycle today about this reveal from Microsoft. So I'm just pulling it up here. One moment. Russian, Chinese, and Iranian hackers have all attempted to hack people and organizations involved in the 2020 U.S. presidential election, Microsoft announced today. Their disclosures shed light on efforts by Chinese and Iranian hackers to break into U.S. political campaigns and suggest that the Russian hacking efforts have continued pace. Um, I think that the biggest takeaways from this is that they're basically coming out and saying that the hacking is pervasive, it's picking up steam, it is specifically trying to get into the organizations and the individuals involved. Uh, Folks, do you remember the uh, WikiLeaks data dump of John Podesta's emails? Think about if they were to get into the sensitive information of something from either the campaigns of the Biden or the Trump camp and do mass data dumps like that that could do irreparable harm, could even sway the election, but I don't know, without digging into the weeds here, what they can actually do other than, you know, misinformation campaigns online. I think theft of information would be probably the most dangerous they could do. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Like you said, I think the most dangerous would be to hack emails and hack personal sites of some kind. Uh, I think this was all open the door with Russian doing it in 2016. Uh, They... They got away with it so easy. I mean, if you remember back then, they paid for a lot of the disinformation ad with frickin' Russian rubles. Uh, So they found out it was so easy to do that, of course, China and Iran, who, as I said earlier, have been spying on us forever and trying to hack in for government secrets and things like that. That's been no secret. But I think this is the first year that they're going in gangbusters on the election because they saw how easy it was for Russia to infiltrate it last time. 
So Russia's back at it. Uh, China and Iran are jumping on the bandwagon. And it'll be interesting to see what they can do, because we know that they can definitely do the misinformation campaigns. How much deeper it'll get, I don't know. As you said, it's getting more sophisticated. This hacking stuff all the time. I thought the emails was pretty hardcore, so who knows what else they can get into. I also want to know, because I'm, I'm fascinated by government, by the spy agencies. I love the Jack Ryan movies. Yes, even the one with Alec Baldwin. But I love, I love spy movies and how this all works with secret agencies and government. So I want to know who gave Microsoft the okay to put out this level of information when the people on the intelligence committee kind of hinted to the media a few weeks ago, hey, there's some significant – information regarding what these foreign powers are doing with the election that we'd really love to tell you if only it would be declassified. Well, it hasn't been declassified and there's been no leaks. So here's just a couple takeaways. Uh, Microsoft did not specify the number of organizations targeted by Chinese and Iranian groups, but they have said Chinese hackers targeted Vice President Joe Biden's campaign and at least one person formally associated with President Trump between May and June Microsoft says that Iranian hackers have tried to log into the accounts of Trump administration officials and Trump campaign staff. So you have Chinese hackers targeting Biden, and you have Iranian hackers targeting the Trump officials. That's fascinating. What do we think about that? Well, it's interesting. It kind of blows out of the theory that uh, China is trying to help get Biden elected, right? That's what Trump's been saying for the past couple of weeks. So I think that kind of blows that theory out of the water a little bit. Makes some sense to me. Um, I definitely think Iran is not happy with Trump. So that kind of makes sense. They're going after him. China, I would think, would be equal opportunity and go after both of them because obviously they can't be really happy with what's going on with Trump over the past couple of years either. So I think they're probably more equal opportunity, but who knows? I don't know what Microsoft knows, and it'd be interesting if someone would share it because, as you said, the security, um, U.S. security is not doing it through the government. So it'd be nice to get some information. That's about where we're at. I know that we probably have about five or six minutes left. We haven't hit too much on the congressional races and other things in politics, but uh, politics in general in this country, anything else on your radar that wasn't Biden or Trump? Uh, I got a couple things. I thought it was interesting that Mitch McConnell couldn't even get the 60 votes he needed to bring up his second stimulus bill or second uh, COVID relief bill today. In the Senate, they've been touting this uh, for the last week that the Senate was going to do its own smaller package for $500 billion, half of what they did. They're using it basically for cover for their for their members that are in a tight races to say, at least we brought something up and none of the Democrats voted for it. But Rand Paul also did not vote for it. So they couldn't get the 60 votes to get it out of committee. I thought that was interesting today. It was 52 to 47. Um, the unemployment benefits that t- Trump was touting, that $300 a week, remember, the big executive order that he signed a while back, that's already running out. Texas is already out of it. It's only good for six weeks So that because they, they were stealing it from FEMA money, if you remember. So FEMA doesn't have any money left after six weeks for these states to do it. 
Every state's been approved except for Nevada, which is interesting. Texas has already gone through theirs because they started earlier, but it looks like that's going to be going away very soon. So I think that's interesting. And that's really it. I don't have too much other stuff on my radar right now. Yeah, it's all – oh, oh, wait, Michael Cohen. Uh, Michael Cohen uh, did some interviews. I, I don't think his book is out, but I think it's the same thing as Woodward, right? This is actually – I'm surprised that the, the Trump news cycle is so fast that the Cohen thing could literally have been a story for one day and then died. I mean, for real? That's exactly like, what happened. America. That's what happened. America, are you kidding us right now? Are you freaking kidding us? The Michael Cohen thing should be as – Front page is the Bob Woodward just saying Michael Cohen was his attorney and personal fixer. He's got the goods, I think. Yeah, it's um, it's been a triple whammy for Trump when you think about it. It started off with the information leaking in the Atlantic article about his disdain for our servicemen and veterans. That was only a week and a half ago, right? Then came Cohen's book, which was released this past Tuesday. He was on all the news shows on Tuesday night. But Wednesday, Woodward came out and just killed uh, Cohen's book. So if I was Cohen, I'd be a little pissed off that he, his thunder got rained on pretty quickly. He was the number one New York Times bestseller list. That's going to only last a week because Woodward is like taking all the oxygen out of Cohen's book. And as you said, there was a lot of pretty damning information in that book. So within a two and a half week period, Trump is going to have these three main stories against him. The Atlantic against Atlantic article about his uh, disdain for the troops and veterans, the Michael Cohen book talking about his hush mummy payments and things he's done uh, while Cohen was fixing for him. And now this Bob Woodward book coming out talking about his lack of response to COVID what was happening with Kim Jong-un and all these other things. So, yeah, it's not a good two and a half weeks for Trump. Um, the uh, folks on Morning Joe were saying this morning, Scott, that the story, the Woodward story, rather, is going to definitely carry into next week because Woodward is apparently scheduled to go in 60 minutes, which I think is on Sunday. And that means that the entire uh, Sunday show, you know, news cycle will roll into Monday, which pushes the Woodward story into next week. The Atlantic story, oh, there's, there's, we could go down multiple rabbit trails. The president is desperately trying to get the veterans back and salvage that. But um, one thing I just want to say on the Michael Cohen, since we barely got to it in this interview, at the end of this CNN interview, he says, and he is willing to sacrifice your life that he has four more years. My understanding of what Michael Cohen is saying is that he looks at everything not in terms of, like, can we save American lives here? Can we save lives there? It's more like, where are we winning? Where are we losing? So he sees everything through the prism of the election and winning a second term, not whether or not we live or die. So my closing, exactly. thought, then I'll kick it, my closing thought, then I'll kick it to you, Scott. President Donald Trump is willing to let all of you die so that he gets a second term. Please let that sink in. If you haven't already registered to vote, please register to vote. We will not tell you on this show who to vote for, but please exercise your right. This election, the stakes couldn't be higher. You have a president who's willing to let you die to hold on to power. Please let that sink in. Thank you. 
Amen, brother. Well said. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us, guys. We'll be back tomorrow to end the week with Michael Vega. We'll be back over the next 54 days, Monday through Friday, 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern time. There's going to be lots of information going out. Uh, Brandon, be safe in the fires. I hope you're able to stay at home. Let everyone know where they can find you on social, and uh, we'll get ready to get out of here. Um, please check out brandoncarmody.com. And one more thing that is brand new, the musical show that I launched, which I'm trying to do, is just got approved for Apple Podcasts. So please search for Brandon Carmody on Apple Podcasts, and you will find my new music show. There you go. All right, guys, you can find me at Left of Straight on Twitter and Instagram and uh, the leftofstraightradio.com website. There's all the information on all of our shows here. I will be back tomorrow. We're going to play out with a little bit of our buddy Brian Justin Crumb and our friends from Superfruit. And this is Rise, cover of Katy Perry's Rise. We will see you tomorrow, everyone. Bye-bye. I won't justify Oh, you will see me thrive Can write my story I'm beyond the archetype I won't just conform No matter how you shake my core Cause my roots they run deep Oh, oh you have so little faith
time, but still. 